Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. All right, he's back. He's back. Our show's favorite guest, most frequent guest, the guy who puts the nerdiness in the Ross Kaminsky show as if I didn't do enough of that myself. He's a professional. Paul Beal is physics professor at the University of Colorado. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. But the first thing, Paul, I want to ask you is, uh, would you like to join my 2024 stock market contest? Oh, sure. What's the harm? Uh, okay. I appreciate that level of enthusiasm. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. What's, My expertise the harm? is uh, non-existent. Yeah, I know, but no, all the people who have ever won this thing, none of them has ever been a financial markets professional. So you can use whatever tool you okay, like to pick then. a number, right? So that the S&P 500 <laughs> is okay. somewhere around 4,900 right now. And you need to guess where it's going to be uh, on December 19th. So basically at the end of the year. So I would like to know what method you are going to use to determine your guess and then what your guess is. Okay. My pseudo random number generator says 5365. That's not prime, but I will accept it anyway. All right. 5365. Uh <laughs> uh, all right. As long as we're being silly-ish. What is a pseudo uh, random number generator versus an actual random? We weren't even going to talk about this, but you just made me think of it. What is a pseudo random number generator versus an actual random number generator? And does the latter even really exist? Well, so an actual random number generator would use properties of nature like quantum mechanics uh, to uh, generate the numbers and uh, so that they are predictable in the sense that, you know, God could not predict what the next bit's going to be in coming from the quantum system. Uh, whereas a pseudo random number generator mimics that behavior, but it's uh, based on a, a computer algorithm. So the, uh, uh, it's very difficult to predict what the next bit was going to be. But in principle, you can figure it out if you can figure out exactly what the algorithm is going to give next. So in, until the rise of quantum computing, a true random number generator, uh, as far as a, a calculating machine or computer of any kind, didn't exist. Well, uh, I wouldn't even say it has to be quantum computing. Any A quantum uh, system, uh, the outcome is not uh, predictable. It's uh, it's completely in, uh, indeterministic uh, what the outcome for of a quantum measurement is going to be. In fact, there's a process that I'm involved with uh, with some people at NIST, and they generate quantum random numbers, and uh, that's uh, and I'm involved in the project because they're going to use that to produce a beacon, which produces uh, output output that is as random as can reasonably be expected uh, based on quantum randomness. And where's that beacon going to send its messages? Okay, well, it's going to be a website at CU. Uh, it's not o open yet. 
but uh, and it's not the only one. There's a number of these around the world that are that people use to, uh, for example, if you can if you can uh, they're, they're interconnected in a way that uh, you can determine for sure that an event happened like a stock buy, for example, happened between one minute and the next minute. Uh, and can prove that 20 years from now based on the sequence of random numbers that were generated by different beacons. Wow. Love it. All right. Before we get to more science nerdiness, I want to talk about a couple of things that are going to be going on at CU uh, that you're involved with. And let's start with the Sooner one just because it's Sooner. It's actually coming up this weekend. Tell us about the CU Wizards. Okay, CU Wizards is a program where CU faculty members uh, give uh, science uh, talks to uh, elementary school kids and middle school kids and their families. And I'm giving one tomorrow. It's called Much Ado About Absolute Zero. And it's uh, happening in Duane Physics tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. And it's uh, free and open to the public. And uh, we'll be talking about temperature and what absolute zero is and what's the coldest temperature and what are the hottest temperatures in the universe. And do folks need to RSVP or can they just show up? They can just show up and uh, you can park right next to the physics building uh, in oh. the physics lot. Uh, there's a, uh, a kiosk there where you can pay a small parking fee and park right next to the building. Okay, so this it's right uh, tomorrow. Stadium, so it's easy to find. Tomorrow at what time? 9.30 a.m. 9.30 a.m. So, folks, if you've got kids or grandkids, elementary school, middle school, and they're curious about physics or you're curious about physics or you want to get them curious about physics, and you can go meet Paul Beal in person after hearing him 175 times uh, on the show, uh, you can head over to the B the uh, the physics building, Tomorrow, the Dwayne Physics Building, tomorrow at 9.30 in the morning on the CU campus, right near Folsom Field, and, and go, uh, go meet Paul and hear a great talk. Now, one other thing I want to mention, so this one is going to be coming up in March, so it's not quite an urgent, as urgent a thing as for tomorrow, but I want to make sure people know about it to get it on their calendars. This one's probably not so much for elementary school kids, the George Gamow Lecture. So the George Gamow Memorial Lecture is going to be on Tuesday, March the 5th. So this is a set of lectures that have usually happened about every year. But uh, since COVID, this is actually the first one since COVID. And uh, it's going to be uh, Professor Andrea Gez from uh, uh, UCLA. And she's an astrophysicist and she's uh, the world's expert on the black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Awesome. Okay, so folks, uh, this actually linked on my blog. It's probably the easiest way to find it is if you go to RossKaminsky.com and go to today's TGIF blogcast and the guest section with all the stuff for Paul, you'll see the link for this, and we'll tell you about it again. Um, but if you look up a George Gamow Memorial Lecture, you'll find it. But remember, Gamow is spelled G-A-M-O-W. Uh, but we're going to get you more information about it when we get closer. We'll remind you about it, but... If you want just a, a remarkable conversation, uh, and again, this isn't a kid's conversation. This is serious physics, uh, not that absolute zero isn't. That's coming up at the beginning of March at the, at the University of Colorado. I'm really looking forward to that. Okay, so, uh, Paul, when I asked you what we're going to talk about today, I... I a public I, lecture. There'll be about a 1,000 people there, I would think. Wow. 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get there if I can. Um, I'm okay. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. So I I sent you a link to a YouTube channel by a British astrophysicist who goes by the name Dr. Becky, but she's a Ph.D. astrophysicist at Oxford in England. Uh, and her full name is Dr. Rebecca Smethurst or Smethurst. And uh, you checked her stuff out and you said she's the real deal. And she actually had talked in a couple of her top stories, space stories of last year about a couple things that you thought would be interesting for us to talk about today. So why don't you just pick one and, and start? Okay, well, we can start talking about Betelgeuse. Uh, so Betelgeuse is a star, and it's one of the most visible stars in the night sky. So in, in, the, in the summer sky in the south, you can see the constellation of Orion. And it's one of the most obvious uh, constellations. It's a big rectangle, and Orion is... Uh, uh, chasing across the, uh, the, the sky and he's followed by his dog, uh, Sirius. And, uh, in the, if you look at the, uh, uh, Orion, the star on his, on the upper left corner, that would be his shoulder, is, uh, Betelgeuse. And it's, uh, one of the brightest stars in the sky, even though it's quite far away. It's, uh, 600 light years away. And uh, but it has this unusual property that it uh, brightens and dims in a somewhat regular pattern with a period of uh, a few hundred days to a few years. And uh, astrophysicists were trying to figure out exactly what's causing this. And so this star is what's called a super red giant, red super giant. And it's actually enormous. It's so big that if it were sitting in our solar system, it would reach all the way out almost to the orbit of Jupiter. So it's an enormous wow. star, and uh, and it's about 15 times more massive than the sun. And this analysis of this uh, dimming and brightening uh, indicates that it might be close to going supernova, stars of this type eventually go supernova in uh, in their lifetimes and usually you think of a star it's going to be millions of years from now well there the there is some evidence that this might be within our lifetime is when this star could go uh, supernova so these red supergiants are are i i remember this vaguely even from before learning so much from you but just from eighth grade eighth grade science that these red supergiants were stars typically towards the end of their lives as stars. Now, you said that this thing is very far away. So so 600 light years away, meaning whatever happens, if it's visible uh, to us, and it, it would be if it's supernovas, but we won't see it for 600 years, right? Well, so what we're looking at is what the star looks like. It, it, the light that we're reaching us left that star 600 years ago. Okay. Now, it could well have on supernova out there 500 years uh, 700 years ago but uh takes 600 years to get here so that would mm -hmm. be only um uh uh got that right 100 years from uh from now i got that right <laughs> no you don't but it so doesn't what matter we're looking at uh, is this star in the past so it could have already gone supernova but we okay. won't know about it until that light reaches us okay now now i'm starting to feel like you know the whole albert einstein thing if you're on a car going the speed of light and you turn the headlights on will anything happen that's that's what i'm feeling with this conversation now so um so r relative to the age of this thing where the light that we're seeing now is 600 years old 
You're saying it's possible right. that we will see supernova light. Could be any time. It could, as you said, in our lifetimes. It's not right. just that it will go supernova in our lifetime. It's that we'll see it because it happened already. Yeah. Yes. So uh, wow. these kinds of stars don't have a long lifetime. So the sun is, has a lifetime of billions of years, but stars of this size, this massive, burn through their nuclear fuel very fast. So they only tend to have, they live about 20 million years. Well, that's still a ridiculously long time compared to human lifetime. But uh, there is some evidence from uh, these the studies is that uh, it has beginning to run out of its nuclear fuel. It's burned up almost all of its hydrogen. And so then at that point, it expands into becoming a red giant and it starts burning helium into carbon. Burning meaning it is in the uh, colloquial sense, it's fusing mm -hmm. helium atoms into carbon atoms. And when it's finished with the carbon atoms, it very quickly fuses uh, uh, the carbon atoms start turning into neon and magnesium by uh, wow. fusion. And that happens very fast. So it, that happens in the course of, uh, you know, a decade or so, uh, according to the nuclear model. So this, uh, the evidence is, there is some evidence that the, it's beginning already to run out of carbon. And so if that's the case, then the supernova event is uh, imminent on, on uh, cosmic scale. Very cool. All right, last question on Beetlejuice, and then we'll move to the other thing. So given the distance, uh, would there be any impact of any kind on Earth other than just being able to see something that looks cool? Would there be any additional radiation of a kind that matters or anything else? Uh, it's far enough away that we are not at any risk. Uh, but if it does this, it will be by far the brightest star in the sky for uh, weeks or months. In fact, it will be brighter than Venus and Jupiter in the sky, nearly as bright as uh, as the moon. Wow. So you could even see it in the daytime. And the last time this has happened inside our galaxy was in 1604. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you've seen one, but uh, you're not that old. Um <laughs> There was one in 1987 in what's called the Large Magellanic Cloud, which is sort of a, an orbiting small galaxy that orbits the Milky Way. But uh, the last time it was seen was in when Kepler was alive, so it's often called Kepler supernova. Folks, we're talking with CU physics professor Paul Beal. If you missed uh, our, the very first part of our conversation today, I want to make sure you know that Paul is giving a talk tomorrow morning at 930 in the Duane Physics Building on the CU campus, and it's a talk designed for kids, for elementary school kids, middle school kids. So take your kids, take your grandkids, 9.30 tomorrow morning. They're going to talk about absolute zero and all kinds of fun physics stuff for kids. Again, 9.30 tomorrow morning in the Duane Physics Building. All right, we got about three minutes left here, Paul. Tell me about this Euclid Space Telescope and what they hope to see that we wouldn't see with the various other space telescopes that we've got out there already. Okay, so the Euclid is a, a space telescope uh, designed and built by the European Space Agency. It uh, launched last year, and it's orbiting uh, not too far from where the uh, Webb Space Telescope is at uh, Lagrange Point 2, behind, farther from the sun than the Earth is. And... Uh, its goal is to search a full one-third of the sky 
and out to uh, distances of about 10 billion light years. So it's going to try to map every galaxy and over across a third of the sky from us all the way out to 10 billion light years away. So wow. it's going to be able to see and map out billions of galaxies. And, uh, and because galaxies uh, uh, cause light to bend as it passes by them, it will also be able to map out the dark matter in the universe. And the weird thing about the galaxy distribution and dark matter is it's not uniformly spread around the universe. It's almost a spider's web of uh, patterns around the universe. And this would provide a really good three-dimensional map of uh, the dark matter and the visible matter in the universe. I can't wait to see some of those some of those pictures. And uh, I mean, typically, they're not pictures the way we think of them. They take imaging in some part of the spectrum that our eyes can't see, and then they turn it into a picture that looks like a picture to us, right? Right. So the cool thing is, for example, the Hubble Space Telescope and the Webb Space Telescope, their deepest measurements out to 10 billion light years are in a tiny patch of sky that's called the Hubble Deep Field. And, uh, and they've mapped out very well in this tiny little patch. Uh, but uh, Euclid's going to map you know, a good fraction of the entire sky. So the analogy I uh, have is that uh, the story about you see a drunk looking for uh, his car keys underneath a street lamp at night. And so you get down on your hands and knees and you start helping the drunk look for his car keys. And you say, are you sure you dropped them here? And the drunk says, oh, no, no, I dropped them in the alley over there, but it's way too dark for me to see over there. So I'm looking here. <laughs> That's a classic story. I. Uh I mean, it's an incredible concept to think that they can map half the sky. It, it, it would mean that, you know, you could launch three or four of these and, and map everything or, or launch the one. And then if you could redirect it later, you could, you know, map almost everything with just a very small number of devices, which is pretty insane. Well, the directions that are hard to map are toward the center of the Milky Way galaxy because there's so many stars and dust in the way. Mm -hmm. So the goal of the of Euclid is to map directions sort of perpendicular to the direction of the Milky Way uh, galaxy center. Uh, okay, now, the give Milky me Way some galaxy uh, center is where the supermassive black hole that uh, Andrea Gez is going to talk about in the Gamow lecture. All right, give me really fast answers on a couple of listener questions. How long will it take to map the sky? Uh, this one is taking, it's going to take four or five years, I think, to map uh, this third of the sky that they're planning. So uh, just launched. So in, in the late uh, 2020s, it should have a more or less complete map of the sky that it can see. Uh, how close to the speed of light? Do the uh, the imaging from these telescopes get back, uh, you know, travel to get to the U.S.? They travel at the speed of light, close to it. The the light that's coming from the uh, from the, the telescope to, that's the being pictures. received by the telescope is that yeah the, the, yeah, the pictures yeah, so from the, the galaxies that are, that are mapping out to ten billion light years. Those galaxies are moving away from us at about half of the speed of light by the because of the expansion of the universe. Right. Uh, my question or the listener's question is when the telescope is sending an image back to the back to Earth for us to look at, what's the speed at which that image travels to get from the telescope to us? OK, so it's traveling at the speed of light and it's only about a million miles away. So it only takes a few seconds for the signal okay. to get down to the Earth from the telescope. And last question, if Betelgeuse goes supernova, 
to our eye as we see it, will it be white or will it be a different color or will it be a whole bunch of colors? Uh, it'll probably be very white. In, uh, and again, if you look like the brightest star in the sky or if you were to not notice, it would be brighter than the planet Venus, which is a very white looking object to us. So uh, mostly white would be uh, the color. It's emitting a huge range of frequencies uh, that are visible and invisible, but what we were, what we see is uh, going to look fairly white. CU Physics Professor Paul Beal. If you want to go to his talk tomorrow, bring your kids and grandkids. It's four kids, 9.30 a.m. in the Duane Physics Building on the CU campus. You do not need to RSVP. You can just show up. Paul, thanks so much for doing this. As always, have a wonderful weekend. Hey, Ross, have a good one, my friend. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.